served a customer only to receive a receipt with zero written in for the tip. Even worse, as if you can't read that, it says, oh, you can stand to lose a few pounds. Oh. Um, I don't know who wrote that. Um, <laughs> we don't need to know who wrote that, but first reaction, what do you do when you receive something like that? Uh, <laughs> There's a different reaction. What was that? Yeah, maybe spit in the food next time. <laughs> How else? <laughs> well, that's exactly what this person did, actually. Uh, they used social media to sort of retaliate. So, um, interesting, isn't it? How our first response is, um, is to get back at the person. Uh, the idea of letting someone take advantage of, you, advantage of you goes against human nature. It might be a spouse who beat you down for years. It might be someone who borrowed a large amount of money but never repaid you. It might be a boss who just screwed you over for a higher position even though you were better qualified for the job. What do you, what do, you do when your child comes home from school and they tell you, that they've been bullied by someone in their class. What's, what's the response that we should be um, telling them? What's Jesus ask us to do? Do we tell them to just suck it up? What about a girl being in an abusive relationship? What should they do? Does Jesus want us to be a doormat or does Jesus want us to stand up? What we're going to do is we're going to... Um, Look at what Jesus um, is asking us to do in the Sermon of the Mount. Before we go any further, I want to sort of um, go into a bit more of the context of, of what Jesus was saying. If you've been listening over the, uh, the last few weeks and paying attention, which I hope you have been, um, you will have known we've been studying the passage of Matthew, known as the Sermon on the Mount. 
Um, Jesus is talking to God's chosen people, the Jews, and they're tired of being shoved around. In the past, they were taken into exile and now they're living in what's supposed to be the promised land, but they're being ruled by Romans. The last message in the Old Testament is, and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. Malachi 4 and 6. So the Jews were expecting revenge. They were longing for a Messiah, first of all. Someone who was maybe a political leader, um, someone in the military, someone who would deliver them from, from the yoke of the Romans. They wanted to establish a a prosperous Jewish kingdom. They were looking for a great king, leader or prophet of their history. But Jesus' sermon was complete contrast to this. He begins the sermon out with a series of blessings. We call that the Beatitudes. The ideals and principles in the Sermon on the Mount were utterly contrary to those of human societies and governments. In Christ's kingdom, the most exalted person are those who are the lowliest in the world's, in the world's estimation and vice versa. Jesus declared that John the Baptist was the greatest man who had ever lived until that time. Yet John had no possessions Where do you live? He lived in the desert. He had no home. He dressed in um, a hair garment and ate locusts and wild honey. He was not part of the religious system. He had no financial, military or political power. In addition to that, he preached a message in the world's eyes that was completely irrelevant. By worldly standards, he was a misfit and a failure yet he received the Lord's highest praise. In in Jesus' kingdom, the least are greater even than John the Baptist. They are characterised in this sermon as being humble, as being compassionate, as being meek, yearning for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers and persecuted for the sake of the very righteousness that they practise. In the world's eyes, they are characterised so, in the world's eyes, those characteristics are the marks of losers. The world says, assert yourself, stand up for yourself, be proud of yourself, elevate yourself, defend yourself, avenge yourself, serve yourself. Those are the treasured traits of the world's people and the world's kingdoms. Man looks at the outward appearance and God looks at the heart. This week I've been on school holidays and um, for those that know me well um, know that I'm not handy at all. Um, Sometimes I try to be, sometimes I try to sort of hang out with uh, my brothers and my dad and sort of, you know, I I can do all that but no, really, honestly, I can't. Um, Anyway, I've attempted to try and lay some paving and um, I don't have any tools at all so I had to borrow everything off uh, my my brothers and dad and... um, I used this, uh, I think it's called, I think it's called a seed. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's a straight edge. 
and um, what's the straight edge do? What do you, what do you use the straight edge for, Steve? Make things straight, yeah. Uh, well, that was the idea of the pavers, make it straight. And um, what, what I was doing was I was putting each paver in and hammering it down um, until it was sort of level with the other ones. And from a bird's eye view, so standing up, the pavers didn't look too bad, but when you sort of get down low and actually have a look along the um, straight edge, you can see that it was doing a bit of this. Um, in Jesus', Jesus message here, it, he's teaching us to change our perspective. Um, in the past, people were just looking at themselves, looking at what they wanted and what they were trying to get out of it, and Jesus was asking, asking them to change the perspective. Um, his message to them, which is the same as it is to us now, um, that it's about, it's about God. It's about living out his characteristics. Jesus taught us the right attitude toward God and the right attitude towards other people. You might, um, <coughs> might have read Rick Warren's book titled The Purpose Driven Life. And he starts off that book by saying, it's not about you. We need to change our perspective and get our focus off ourselves and onto God. With this in mind, we're now going to look at the passage. Matthew 5.38 says, You've heard that it was said, Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Let's have a look at the meaning, eye for an eye. This law of retaliation was God's means of maintaining justice and removing evil from among the people. So it was both a command to punish and a limitation on punishment. So it had two reasons. The penalty must not exceed the crime. The original law was a fair one and was imposed by civil authorities rather than individuals. It therefore had the double effect of defining justice and restraining revenge. But the scribes and the Pharisees evidently extended this principle of just retribution from the law courts where it belongs to the realm of personal relationships where it doesn't belong. They tried to use it to justify personal revenge, although the law explicitly prohibited this. Leviticus 19.18 says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. When you've been hurt, when someone has taken something from you, the goal of revenge is to, is to erase the shame and humiliation and restore pride. Jesus went beyond the law to a higher righteousness by abolishing personal retaliation altogether, reminding us it's not about you. Jesus replies with, um, do not resist an evil person. He did not contradict the principle of retribution for it is true and it is a just principle. Jesus warned on many, many occasions about the reality of the divine judgment on the last day. Paul reminds us in Romans 12:19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So vengeance is God's responsibility. Feelings of revenge can be overcome by realising that God will make all things right and that he will visit his wrath to those who deserve it on the last day. 
When Jesus affirmed on the, in the flip side of this command was rather that of the principle. Though it pertains to the law, courts and to judgment of God, it is not applicable to our personal relationships. These are to be based on love, not justice. Our duty to individuals who wrong us is not retaliation, but the acceptance of injustice without revenge or compensation. A quote by Gandhi says, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and the whole world would soon be blind and toothless. So I understand that it's not my place to seek revenge and that God will deal with those who do do evil. But what does Jesus mean when he says, do not resist? Does that mean to welcome the evil they do? Perhaps the other uses of the verb resist in the New Testament will help us to set the context for our thinking. According to its major negative use, above all, we we don't resist God. We don't resist his will, his truth or his authority. We are constantly urged, however, to resist the devil. The apostles Paul, Peter and James tell us to oppose him who is the evil one, meaning the devil. So how is it possible that Jesus told us not to resist evil? What are we forbidden to resist? Is not evil as such evil in the abstract, nor the evil one, but an evil person, one who is evil, the RSV RSV rightly translates. Jesus does not deny that um, he is evil. He asks us neither to pretend that he is other than he is, nor to condone his evil behaviour. What he does not allow us is that we retaliate, that we can acknowledge the evil but show love to the offender. A living example of this is Sue Norton, who lives in Kansas, USA. She received terrible news during a phone call from her brother in January 1990. Her much-beloved dad, Richard Denny, and his wife, Virginia, were found murdered in their home. Sue's dad was shot to death in his isolated Oklahoma farmhouse. All that was stolen was $17 in an old truck. Sue says she felt numb. She couldn't understand why someone would want to hurt people who were old and poor. The loss of her dad just broke her heart. Sue sat through the trial of Robert Knighton, known as BK. She was confused how he how she should feel. She tells how everyone in the courtroom was consumed with hate. They all expected her to feel the same way. But she couldn't hate the way they did because she says it didn't feel good. The last night of the trial, she knew there must be another way. She couldn't eat or sleep and that night and prayed to God to help her. When morning came, she had this thought. So you don't have to hate BK. You could forgive him. The next day, while the jury was out out for deliberation, Sue got permission to visit BK. Through the bars of his holding cell, Sue relates, I was really frightened. This was my first experience in a jail. BK was big and tall. He was shackled and had cold, steely eyes. 
At first BK refused to look at Sue. She asked him to turn around and answer. Why would anyone want to talk to me after what I've done? Sue replied, I don't know what to say to you, but I want you to know that I don't hate you. My grandmother always taught me not, not to use the word hate. She taught me that we are here to love one another. If you are guilty, I forgive you. BK thought Sue was just playing games. She couldn't understand how she could forgive him for such a terrible crime. Sue says, I didn't think of him as a killer. I thought of him as a human being. BK resides, resides in, on death row in Oklahoma. Sue often writes to him and visits occasionally. She feels that BK should never leave prison, but she does not want him executed. She's become friends with BK and because of her love and friendship, he's become a devout Christian. I just want to say on a side note here, when Jesus says, um, do not resist an evil person, he's not prohibiting the use of, of force by governments, police or soldiers when combating evil. Rather, Jesus' focus here is on the individual conduct, um, which shows he's prohibiting the universal human tendency to seek personal revenge. The difference. Matthew um, shares four examples Four, four illustrations outlining this principle. Christian, each sorry, each introduces a person in the context of a person who, in some sense, is evil, who seeks to do us an injury and take something from us. In each situation, Jesus says, our Christian duty is to completely refrain from revenge to the point of even allowing the evil person to, to double the injury. Let's read 30, uh, verse 39. It says, If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Let's have a look at each one. Being slapped on the cheek um, was a form of an insult and um, what Jesus is saying here is once you're insulted don't, don't sort of insult back. Um, if you insult back, it only um, leads to escalating violence. Being slapped on the cheek is mockery. It's in a form of humiliation and in essence takes away your pride. In order to turn the other cheek, we must stay where we are and not run away. When someone insults you and takes away your pride, how are you going to respond? When you, read a comment after, when you read a comment that offends you on Facebook, how are you going to respond? When someone makes a joke about you in front of your friends, how are you going to respond? 
When you find out someone's spreading nasty rumours, how do you respond? How does Jesus want us to respond? Just like he would, with love. What's more important, God's kingdom values or your pride? Second illustration. If someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat coat as well. Um, In the NIV version, it uses the word um, cloak. Cloak. Um, No, sorry. It uses the word tunic instead of shirt. Tunic and a shirt, same thing. And a cloak is a is a coat, it's a jacket. By Jewish law, no one was entitled to take your coat. No matter how much you owed them, they couldn't take your coat. But what Jesus is saying, that when someone is prosecuting you and de- demanding your shirt, let them have your jacket as well. How much worth is Jesus putting on your possessions? How much worth is Jesus putting on, your, on human relationships? When someone wants to take your possessions... How are you going to respond? How are you going to respond when someone wants to borrow something from you? What wouldn't you be willing to give up? Why not? How does Jesus want us to respond? Just like he would, with love. What's more important, God's kingdom values or your possessions? Next one, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. This doesn't make a lot of sense for us today because um, we don't have forced military service. But in Jesus' day, a Roman soldier was entitled to, um, to make you walk a mile with their stuff, to be, to be their porter. Uh, Jesus says if an official compelled them to carry their baggage for one mile, you would voluntarily um, carry it two miles. That's giving up twice as much of of your time. When someone wants to take your time, how are you going to respond? Um, How do you respond when someone takes the outside lane at a traffic intersection and you know the lane is going to merge into yours just up the road? What are you going to do when someone pushes in line and you have to wait longer? How does Jesus want us to respond? Just like he would with love what's more important God's kingdom values or your time give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you we have an obsession with material things things that we acquire things that we consider treasures but where are our treasures really when someone wants to take your money how are you going to respond How do you respond when you see a homeless person? The amount of money that God has trusted you with each week, how much do you spend on yourself and how much do you spend on others? How does Jesus want us to to respond? Just the way that he would, with love. What's more important, God's kingdom, God's kingdom values or your money? So in all four illustrations... Um, Jesus replaced the law with an, an attitude and um, we need to be willing to suffer loss rather than cause other people to suffer. 
You may know of a horrific tragedy in 2006 when a lone gunman shot 10 girls in an Amish school in Pennsylvania. Charles Roberts, age 32, entered an old order Amish one-room school at about 10am carrying a range of weapons, ammunition and tools. He ushered 15 boys, one pregnant woman and three other women with infants from the school and he bound 11 students who remained, all girls, aged 6 to 15, with plastic flex ties, prepared to shoot them. One by one, he shot 10 young girls. Three died immediately. Two others died in the hospital by the next morning. The remaining five were severely injured. One did not have full vision and one had serious brain injury and was wheelchair bound. Roberts committed suicide when the police stormed the school. On the day of the shooting, a grandfather of one of the murdered Amish girls was heard warning some young relatives not to hate the killer, saying, we must not think evil of this man. Another Amish father noted, he had a mother and a wife and a soul and now he's standing before a just God. Jack Mayer, a member of the Brethren community living near the Amish in in the county explained, I don't think that there's anybody here that wants to do anything but forgive and not only reach out to those who have suffered a loss in that way but to reach out to the family of the man who committed these acts. A Roberts family spokesman said an Amish neighbour comforted the Roberts family, our, Roberts family hours after the shooting and extended, <coughs> extended forgiveness to them. Amish community members visited and comforted Roberts' widow parents and parents-in-law. One Amish man held Robert's sobbing father in his arms, reportedly for as long as one hour to comfort him. The Amish have set up a a charitable fund for the family of the shooter. Mari Roberts wrote an open letter to her Amish neighbours thanking them for their forgiveness, grace and mercy. She wrote, Your love for our family has helped to provide the healing that we so desperately need. Gifts you've given have touched our hearts in a way no words can describe. Your compassion has reached beyond our family, beyond our community and is changing our world and for this we sincerely thank you. How does Jesus want us to respond when people hurt us? When people take something from us, he wants us to respond with love. Verse 43, love. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Um, so the question is, who are our enemies? When Jesus commands us to love our enemies, who is he talking about? Jesus defined our enemies as those who curse us, those who hate us, those who exploit us and those that take advantage of us. Since Christian love is the act of the will and not simply an emotion, he has the right to command us to love our enemies. It's not the same as neutral affection because it's not natural to love those who hate and harm you. It's a supernatural grace and can be manifested only by um, those who have a divine life. What does it mean to love? We may show this love by blessing those who curse us, doing good to them, praying for them. 
When we pray for our enemies, we find it easier to love them. It takes the poison out. Why show love? Let's have a look. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. This love is a mark of obedience, proving that we are children of the Father. He was not saying that this is the only way to become sons of God. Rather, it's how we show that we are a child of God. Um, He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's God-like. God doesn't show favouritism. He doesn't choose who he blesses. He blesses um, those that are good and those that are evil. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Tax collectors were known as people that um, were sort of traders and they weren't really liked by people. There is no reward if we love those who love us. That's easy. The type of love requires, sorry, that type of love requires no divine power. God's looking for real love. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Christians should not merely do the same as unbelievers. They're different. Our standards are higher. It is certain that we never, um, that we never make an impact. Sorry, that we need to make an impact on the world. And lastly, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Perfect suggests completeness, maturity, as the sons of God. The Father loves his enemies and seeks to make him his children and we should assist him. So how is this all this possible? Well, you could be saying it's all too hard. You don't know what they've done to me. That person just doesn't deserve any love. Well, you're right. It's hard. Humanly speaking, it's impossible. It's only with the help of the Holy Spirit that He can help us to forgive and help us to love. Let's not forget our position before God. In Romans 5.10 says that we were God's enemies. We were the ones that had taken something from God. And yet how did He respond to us? It was written in it was written of Jesus in the Old Testament. I offered my back to those who beat me, my pe- my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. And in the actual event we know that they spat on him, they mocked him, they struck him, and eventually crucified him. Jesus is the ultimate example. He showed amazing love to his enemies. 1 Peter 2.20 says, But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, that is commendable, commendable before God. 
To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Only as the Saviour is allowed to live his life in the believer can insult, injustice and inconvenience be repaid with love. That's the Gospel going the second mile. There can be no doubt of the unjust sufferings which Martin Luther King had to endure. Despite the threats and lies and beatings, he had no bitterness, no revenge in his mind. Instead he declared, to our most bitter opponents we say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will and we will continue to love you. We cannot in all good conscience obey your unjust laws because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. Throw us in jail and we will still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our community at the midnight hour and beat us and leave us half dead and we shall still love you. But be you assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. To sum up his teaching, we need to change our attitude and our perspective. Instead of looking at our own needs, we need to be uh, looking at what Jesus is asking us to do. Jesus is not prohibiting the administration of justice but rather forbidding us to take the law into our own hands. An eye for an eye is a principle of justice belonging to, to courts of law. In personal life we must change our attitude and our perspective. We need to rid only of all retaliation in word and deed but also in business of spirit. We can and we must commit our cause to the good and righteous judge as Jesus himself did. But it is not for us to seek or to desire any personal revenge. We must repay injury. Sorry, we must not repay injury, but suffer it and so overcome it with good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a perfect and righteous God. We thank you for showing love to us even though we were enemies to you you reached out to us and showed us love Father I ask that you will help each one of us to turn to you and to look to you for that same love help us to love those that hurt us help us not to seek revenge retaliation but God, help us to love them like you love them. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.